Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Perhaps you may have heard the familiar story in the Old Testament about Moses and the people of Israel. The Israelites had been rescued from slavery under Pharaoh, king in Egypt. They had crossed over the Red Sea and were now traveling through the wilderness to a new land and a new life promised by God. But sin raised its ugly head again as the people began to complain and rebel against God. As a result, God sent poisonous snakes into the camp, and many people were bitten and died. But God, in his mercy, provided a remedy. He told Moses, their leader, to construct a brass snake and hang it on a pole at the center of the camp. The remedy? Just look at the snake and live. Did God need to be so gracious? No, but he was. So how does this apply to us today? Well, as we will see from today's message, This whole story is a picture of what sin has done in our lives. It has caused suffering, sadness, and death. And we've basically brought it on ourselves. But again, God is gracious. He has provided the ultimate remedy. Christ himself, the eternal Son of God, refers to this Old Testament story to illustrate how he, just like that brass snake, would be lifted up, this time on a cross. And guilty sinners who look to him in faith as their Savior will be saved. Let's listen to what evangelist David Hurley has to say about this Bible truth. Numbers 21, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake, Against Moses, wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth. That just means hates this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he looketh, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. In our New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. We turn to read here because what we are doing tonight is taking an Old Testament story that was really a story of physical problems where they gained a physical deliverance. And we are taking that physical problem and physical deliverance to use it spiritually. Because that's what Christ does in chapter 3 of John, verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, now why would he do that? Why would the Son of Man have to be lifted up? That's what he's teaching. 
because Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness for the same reason, because of sin. So he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And how can it benefit us, verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now over to the book of Romans for one final passage that we could likely refer to. And it is very good to read it because it's an excellent verse. Romans chapter 8. It's really verse 3 that we're wanting, but to see the context of it, let's read it verse 1. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now how can that come about? Now verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, or for a sin offering, is the thought of it, for a sacrifice for sin, by doing that he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, or in our experience, or in our lives. This is a very interesting little story. Sometimes for these familiar stories, we almost hesitate to turn to them because they have been so taught and preached from gospel circles that you're almost afraid the audience will just kind of turn off the switch in their mind and they'll no longer listen to the message. They'll think, I know all that and I've never been saved through it. Well, listen, you may have heard it all. You may have thought about it all. You may have read this passage a hundred times before you even came to the meeting. Yet if you are not saved, you haven't grasped the truth of it. You have not yet grasp the truth of why God has left this very simple story upon the pages of Scripture and why the Lord Jesus picked it up and he used it all those hundreds of years later, picks it up and uses this story to illustrate why he had come and why he must die on the cross. If you're not saved, you haven't got it yet. So we're going to go over it again. And we're asking you not to turn your mind off, but rather open the eyes of your mind and think about the basics of this story. What is the first number one basic thing that we have to consider about this story? It's really, we're starting with sin. They found out they were sinners. They weren't right with God. And they didn't like it. And none of us like that message. But it's from the Bible. You see, I may go to the doctor and find out that after a series of tests, I may find that I have a disease. And I can go back to the doctor and I can say, well, now doctor, what what what, what is the report? And he would say, well... Have a seat. We don't have good news. And I may jump up and get mad at the doctor and say, well, now doctor, I don't like that message. You are not doing me any favors by telling me that. And in fact, I am going down the road to get a second opinion. What would be the sense of that? When we get a message we don't like, if it is true in every other area of life, we look for a remedy, for a cure. We embrace the truth that we may not like and take it as value, and we deal with it. Yet why is it when it comes to spiritual things, right across the spectrum of time, of human history, when people have gotten this message, there is a resistance. There is something that flares up in them that says, no, no, that cannot be me. I will take a second opinion. And if the second opinion is different, and if it's sugar-coated, and if it's softer words, then they'll take that opinion, even if they have a feeling the other one is true. Now listen, what are you going to do tonight? The very simple, number one basic thing, glaring problem in this is that we learn something of the reality of wrongdoing. The realities of sin. That's all we learn. These people were about to learn a tremendously important lesson, a serious lesson, that there were realities. There were very definite problems that sin caused. 
There was something that just had to be dealt with. Something that just could not be passed over by God. And I am so glad that this story is left so that we see that we have a God. He does not involve himself in cover-ups, even though these were his people. Listen, if this had been some kind of a human mind that was leading these people through the wilderness, how often would we have been tempted to cover them up because those are my people? Tempted to do that with your family? Just kind of gloss things over and kind of make it to be less than it is. We often, so often are tempted to do that, but not God. When God finds a problem with sin, it's his business, and it's his right, and it is of necessity, in light of his character, to absolutely expose it. That's what he does. First basic, simple lesson we learned from this story, there were realities to sin. Did you notice what the sin was? It was hardly sin in our mind. They complained. And they didn't even lift their hand to God. They just spoke against their leader. They spoke against the authority in their life, and they complained about the food. Well, now, we don't look upon that as very serious, do we? How often at family suppers and tables do we hear, I don't like that. I hate that. That's gross. And yet the reality is when it come to a kingdom of people who did that in the wilderness, it offended God. There was a reality to wrongdoing. There were repercussions. There were results because of very simple complaining. And God did not just take it as something that was done against Moses. He took it as a very personal thing. And there are all kinds of things. Everything seems to be wrong in a world that we live in and in homes. And we're never satisfied. And we complain. And do you think that that escapes the notice of God? Complaining in this day was serious enough that people died. So when it comes to the realities of sin, the first thing we find is that because of sin, in our world, in that day and in ours, where there is sin, there is suffering. These people had a suffering problem because of sin. Why are there atrocities in the world? Why are there 9-11s? Why are there all the different disasters, shootings? Why is that allowed? Why are there the different crimes that people do against innocent victims? And somehow the thing gets all twisted out of proportion. It comes back so that people are suddenly pointing the finger at God because he allows it. Yet the reality of it is, is that those things come as a result of a humanity that is full of sin, that has willfully and rebelliously taken a pathway that is against God and committed actions that are offensive to him. And we ourselves have turned away and we have caused this reality in our worlds. Suffering. You got suffering in your life? You look around the world and wonder and think about suffering and think that somehow God caused it? No, he didn't. God never introduced suffering into this world. A man did that. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us very definitely that death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned and it all entered through one man. One man's sin. And then he tacks on the end just so that we would understand not only can we not blame God, but we can't only blame Adam because it says this, all have sinned. And every one of us will one day come into our own burden of suffering because of sin. These people, they complained and God sent fiery serpents among them and they understood there is suffering. But reality number two is this. They not only had a suffering problem, they had a strength problem. The suddenly they had no strength. They couldn't carry themselves around. 
They couldn't right their circumstances. They couldn't better their circumstances before God. They couldn't even seem to approach to God. They had to come through a Moses. So very simply we learn this. Where there is sin, there is no strength. Isn't that what Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 tells us so plainly? Again, coming to the New Testament, to see this lesson that we are learning from the Old Testament, that when we were yet without strength, nothing to do for ourselves, we couldn't. It's a reality of sin in our world. It causes a strength problem. But not only that, we learn as well that there was a satisfaction problem. They were not satisfied. Before any time they had problems, all they had to do was come to God, and God would give them whatever they needed. He would give them more than they needed. In fact, through this wilderness journey, day after day, God actually provided bread for them, rained it down from heaven, and he brought them water from the rock. We know all those stories. But here, as soon as they had committed sin against God, they learned this. We are no longer satisfied. And here they were. They were sick. They were dying. They were in pain. They were suffering. They couldn't better themselves. Now, just imagine if they're thinking of our day, of our churches, of our religious world, if it was applied to this set of circumstances. What does our world say? Well, just try to be satisfied with who you are and learn to love yourself and have self-esteem and just kind of do the best you can. In other words, what they're saying is this. You just be satisfied with who you are and the circumstances you are in and try to better yourself and do the best you can and you'll be all right. Now, imagine coming up to someone who is dying and saying, now listen, you just be satisfied with your position and do the best you can and you'll be all right. How ridiculous. And it's ridiculous in our day. In light of what God says, we would be a fool to be satisfied with our sin, with our suffering, with our lack of strength. No, no, God has so much better to provide. He has a salvation that can meet every need. He wants to give you a Savior that will satisfy you and save you and that will one day end all of your suffering. Don't be satisfied with what you are and where you are. Don't be satisfied with the realities of, of wrongdoing and sin. You may think, because Satan will try to convince you that you have to be, that there is no deliverance for you, there is no satisfaction for you, and God is holding out on you. No, he is not. And God, the last thing he wants for you to do and for you to be is to be satisfied with your condition. Listen, we urge you tonight, if you know you are not saved and you have sin in your life, you face up to the realities of your sin. And you remember this, that you will one day suffer eternally for your sins. So don't be satisfied with your sin in life. There's a salvation that is provided to deliver you from your circumstances, from the penalty for your sins from eternal suffering forever. Whatever you do, if you are not saved, you go in for it with all your might and being and passion. And you search for God's salvation with all your heart. There is a Savior who is longing to see you. The realities of wrongdoing. But the second thing we learn are the requirements of righteousness. Because there are very definite requirements because of the righteous claims of God. They had sinned, and it wasn't just enough to come in with some kind of a pill to fix them. There were definite requirements that the righteousness of God required. They had to be met. Do you know what the first one was? These serpents that bit them, they were fiery serpents. And so the Lord tells Moses 
that this serpent that I am going to provide for the pole, that I want you to make for the pole, he said, it's got to be fiery. And so the first thing I learned, the requirement of righteousness is this. There had to be a likeness to the very thing that caused their trouble. Their problem. You know, when it comes to God's answer to your sin, the first requirement that Christ met is this. He was made in the likeness of us. Now, the Bible does not say that he was absolutely like us in every way. When it came to human flesh, you could touch him. He had a real heart that beat. He had a brain that functioned. He had an eye that looked. He had a hand that moved. He had feet that carried him. He was real, living flesh. So there was a very definite likeness. But you know, there was a difference. The Bible tells us that he was found in fashion as a man. He was seen in the likeness of men. And there he is telling us not so much that he wasn't identical. There was differences, essential differences. There was likeness, and yet there was difference. Well, the likeness is he became a man to become your substitute and mine. But the difference is he never, ever sinned once. Imagine walking up to a man and following him around and never seeing these hands do something they should not. Never seeing these feet go somewhere they should not. If you could penetrate his thoughts, as the scripture allows us to do, to see that there was no sinful thought in his mind. In effect, the Bible guards jealously the sinlessness of Christ and says he could not sin. There was no sin in him. But righteousness required that if you and I were to be saved, there had to be one that was like us. And that is why he became a man. It's a requirement. Number one was fulfilled by Christ. What was requirement number two? The requirement that now we will look at is not likeness, but it is the lasting qualities for the fire. This provision from God had to last through the fire. That's why it was brass. There had to be something that would feel the hate that spoke the fire that spoke of the divine judgment of God because of sin. Because that's really what was required. God had to punish sin. There had to be the heat of divine wrath that would fall upon a victim. So that now this serpent of brass is something that has went through the fire. You couldn't have a paper mache serpent. It would be burned up and consumed. You know, when it came to Christ, he would fulfill this. He actually exhausted the wrath of God. In other words, he lasted through the fire at Calvary. God punished him for the sins that you and I committed. And at the end, he was alive and well to say this. It is finished. Praise God. He fills requirement number two. He lasted through the fire. What was the third requirement? It was a simple one. It had to be lifted up on a pole. Wasn't the Lord Jesus lifted up on a cross? But more than that, we want you to understand we are not preaching at church. We are not making a name for ourselves. But tonight, 2,000 years after he was lifted up on a cross, we would lift him up to you as one who has met every requirement of the righteousness of God and therefore is fitted to be your Savior. Isn't he good enough for you? He's good enough for God. He has met the likeness requirement. He has met the lasting requirement. And now he has been lifted up upon a cross. And he has been published across a world. 
The gospel of Christ has been literally preached around the world and is being preached tonight as the one that can meet your needs that God has sent to save you. We lift him up to you. We offer him to you. We cannot literally give him to you, but we can offer him to you in a message. We can preach to you that you can have every sin forgiven. You can be satisfied with this one because God is satisfied that every righteous requirement has been met. There is nothing that God is waiting for you to do. There is nothing he is waiting for Christ to do. It was all finished 2,000 years ago. The second thing we learn from this passage is the requirements of righteousness. What is the third thing? The realization of the remedy. That's all that's left for you. You know about it. You've heard about it. But it hasn't yet become real to you. You haven't realized the power of this remedy. Now, now what was really in this remedy? How was it to be realized? How was it to become real to them? Well, God had given them a promise. He said, they shall live. They could not bring life to themselves. Do you know what you cannot do tonight? You cannot bring eternal life to yourself. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can do nothing. So I find this God's responsibility. He took that upon himself. What did it hinge upon? You know what he said? He gave them man's responsibility. That whosoever looketh upon it shall live. You know, it wasn't just to look at it and think, well, I know all about it. To look upon it is to convey the thought that there is an expectant look. There is a resting upon. There is an expectant look, expecting to receive in light of the promise. That's what the Lord Jesus said. He said, that's why the Son of Man was lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you ever just looked to Christ, who has met your need, and expected to get eternal life? Expected that God would fulfill his promise? But just very briefly as I close, one time standing at a McDonald's, waiting for my order, and there was a little boy come up. He was probably about eight years old. And he come up with a little bit of change in his hand, and he ordered a Sunday, and he's waiting for it. And finally the Sunday comes, and she reaches out for the money, and she takes the money, and he's waiting, and she counts the money, and she looks back at him, and suddenly I saw there was a problem. He didn't have enough money. He couldn't pay for it. And he won it the Sunday, but he couldn't take it because it wasn't paid for. And very quickly I just stepped up and put down the change that was required. And the clerk said, Are you sure? I said, yeah, go ahead. You know, he never questioned it at all. She questioned, but he didn't. As soon as she was satisfied it was paid for, she pushed it to him, and he just took it, and he looked to me and he said, thank you. Can you not do that tonight? God is pushing salvation to you in the person of his son, and all he wants you to do is take it, look, and thank him for it. It's yours. So, have you ever looked? Looked to Christ, that is, and received eternal life. You certainly won't look if you don't see your own desperate need. This may have been obvious to the Israelites dying from a venomous snake bite. But is it not obvious to you as well? Look within your own heart and admit to the sinfulness that's there. And then look to the man who died on the cross. Depend on him to put away your sin. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ today, won't you? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>